invite Jared up and he's, I'm going to pray with him and he's going to speak to us now um, and bring the word to us. So Father, thank you so much for Jared and we thank you for his heart for you, his heart for people, mm. his understanding of your word, his passion to apply that word mm. and his deep, deep relationship with you. May we experience that and above all your love as he speaks and as we break bread together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, Rob. Well, I've loved being with you a lot. A couple of disclaimers. This isn't a speech impediment. I'm Australian. Um, but I'll pray that you have the gift of interpretation so you can understand what I'm saying. Uh, I had 10 minutes to preach this morning and I'm a Pentecostal. I've literally done altar calls that have gone twice that long. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I've got twice that long now. Uh, uh, one of the jokes, I'm not sure whether it was the accent or what, but I made the joke this morning in the first service that clearly the Apostle Paul wasn't from the Church of Ireland because no one in a 10 minute homily is gonna fall out the window asleep. Um, that joke didn't get a laugh this morning, and I, uh, I'm not sure whether that was my accent or Australians aren't funny. Where I want to go um, this morning is the lectionary reading. Um, the lectionary means that I can't just preach what I want to preach, and one of the cool things about that is Jesus ends up saying a bunch of stuff to us we don't want to hear, and this is one of those texts. So if those who have Bibles with you. Uh, some of you will have your phones and want to use this as an excuse to play Angry Birds and pretend you're reading your Bible. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verse, starting at verse 35. And uh, I know it's kind of old school, but I'm an old fool. So can we stand for the gospel reading? Is that all right? The gospel of Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of thunder, came to him. Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What's really important in jokes is you understand the punchline. As we pay attention now, this is already funny. If this doesn't bring a wry smile to your face, it's because we're not being honest. But a lot of us approach Jesus in such ways that we want Jesus to do what we want, but we dress it up in ways where we say, God, I want to do your will so that you will do whatever I want. But I don't want you to miss that as we start. It's very dramatic with the echo, Rob. Is, is that going to be all the way through? <laughs> the standard joke that preachers make about this point is like, obviously the devil is making fun with the sound system this morning. That's very rarely true. Most of the time, we're just having a hard time with the sound desk. But back to the text. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left when you come into your glory. You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink this cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Yes, we can. Jesus said to them, you will drink of that cup and you will be baptized with that baptism which I'm baptized with. But it's not mine to sit on my right and left. It's not mine to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who regard as rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them, 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, may the words on my lips and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for truly you are our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, do your will, do your will, Holy Spirit. Reveal to us and let us gaze upon your son Jesus, that we might come to the table rejoicing, taking part as a not-so-with-you people. And all those who know God and want to live his love said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So the joke that we're in danger of missing, it usually plays out like this, and preachers like me can take away the power of what's going on because we misunderstand what this Jewish setting misunderstood. Sometimes we'll hear preachers say, of course, they were expecting a physical kingdom, but Jesus came to bring a spiritual kingdom. And of course, Jesus brings a spiritual kingdom, but it is physical. If we take out that reality that as a people, what's going on here is the kind of honesty that if we come to Jesus confessing what we actually desire, he takes that and uses it in ways that might surprise us to make us a spiritual people that realise that Jesus is seeking to set up a different kind of reality right here, right now, using messed up people like us. In my country, we might express the crisis we're having in that we have a crisis of trust, we have a crisis of imagination, and we have a crisis of desire. The Apostle Paul would use the language that we have a crisis of faith, a crisis of hope, and a crisis of love. And what I love about this text is how honest Jesus' disciples are. And they come and they say exactly what they want. They know Jesus is about to come into power, and when we kick the Romans out, we want the most important portfolios. We want to sit on the right and left. We want to rule with you. And don't miss the joke of this whole thing, because Jesus is about to be coronated a king. Not with a crown of gold, but of thorns, not on a throne, but on a cross. And we miss the joke of Christianity, as Slavoj Žižek would put it. The joke of Christianity is that God Almighty is revealed as all vulnerable. And this text is about the conversion of our trusts, of our hopes, and of our desires. And some of us can't be honest about what we really want. Some of us can't admit that what we want is to add Bible verses to the back of agendas that actually look like the Roman Empire. We long to rule over others. We long to be people of fame, importance. We long for celebrity. We long to be Christian celebrities in a messed up culture that looks like larger culture instead of a not-so-with-you people. And so we relate to one another in ways that we look past each other and look to a greater goal where I will step into the kind of glory that comes at the cost of others and the cost of the poor and the expense of the earth. But we're going to do it for Jesus' glory. And Jesus, with a wry smile, says to us, what is it that you want? Which I find fascinating because most preachers, when they talk about what we need to do, they use the language of surrender in such way that it seems like we need to die to what we want instead of we need to have transformed what we desire. 
See, Jesus doesn't say that it's bad that you want to be first. It's bad that you want to be great. But he reframes greatness as service. So Martin Luther King preaching on this text would say, you don't need your subject and your verb to agree to serve. You don't need to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't need to know the second law and thermal dynamics to serve. You don't need to know Plato and Aristotle to serve. What you need is a heart filled with grace and a soul generated by love. And to undergo that experience where it's not just window dressing and play acting of adding Bible verses to the desires that we learn out there, if it's instead us to become a people where we know any power that's power over another instead of power with each other isn't the kind of reign that we see from a God who is coronated on a cross. If we have not stepped into the mystery that we celebrate around this table where we're not given a theory, we're given a table. We're not given a message, we're given a meal. And apparently it's a meal that we share with all those who know that the only way we're undeserving of this is if we think we're more deserving than others. This is how Jesus leaves us to understand what it is he's doing and what we're being invited into and are not so with you people. If we can be honest about what we desire, He will come and take it and transform it in ways that we can't yet imagine. What is it for us to passionately desire God's glory and to find out that that glory is actually the kind of power that empowers the powerless? That we want the position of importance and find that position is not on street corners, but is actually in our closet where no one can see us praying where it's not handing over big checks and Instagram photos where people think we're amazing, helping the poor, but we actually move into the places where the poor no longer become subjects for my goodness, but actually they become our sisters and brothers in such ways that we're more concerned about their dignity than I am my purity. What is it for us to desire the kind of kingdom where the kind of importance we have is that we compete in loving one another instead of being loved by one another. What is this way that Jesus invites us into that is so radical that most of us, if we're honest, we want the kind of thing that Rome is already doing and we want to lord it over them. And we don't want to be a not-so-with-you people. We want to be like-them people, but we just want to add Jesus to it. So all the things that our Lord says no to in the desert, we want to say yes to for Jesus. And we wonder why the church so often looks like everything we find elsewhere, except we talk about Jesus in ways that don't hallow his name but blaspheme it. Because anything that is operating in a power that doesn't give power away so it's something that empowers all, it's blasphemy if your God is revealed on a cross. And so many of us want quick fixes and easy answers instead of to step into the reality that at Calvary we see how the world really works, we see who God really is, and we see a reign of something different that means the way that things are now in your life, in my life, in our streets, in our cities, in our nation and in our world, they do not have to be. Because we're being called into a people where it's not like that for us where people aren't given special treatment because other people see him in certain ways. But instead, everybody is treated with the kind of dignity. And Jesus comes to us and says, you shouldn't desire being great. Just realize that real greatness is service. And then we can start to see one another as God sees us. 
C.S. Lewis has this wonderful story in The Great Divorce. Has anybody read The Great Divorce? Tough crowd. I see, I see that hand, I see that hand. That's what us preachers say all the time, usually at the end. <laughs> Most people don't read The Great Divorce, but I still think it's his greatest work. And I'm going to butcher it, but I want you to get a sense of my favourite scene. And the main protagonist is being invited into this new reality, which we might call a not-so-with-you reality. A reality where it's not power over, but it's the power with that raised Jesus from the grave. And the main character has something on his shoulder, which is a bit like a gargoyle or a gremlin or something ugly that whispers lies that are laced with half-truths. Don't listen to this angel, this magnificent angel, tall, brilliant, bright. That sword that the angel has, he's going to kill me and he's going to kill you. Don't trust that angel and he stands at the threshold of this new reality that we're all being invited into around this table where no one has more importance than any other and it's a table for sinners who can actually admit this is how problematic I am and yet I'm still loved and if I see myself in that way I know if I leave judgment behind I can receive mercy if I leave indifference behind I can actually recognize God's family and he's standing at that threshold and his foot is hovering over do I step into this new world and do I let this angel do to me with that sword what this voice says I can't trust and what happens is amazing and it's the same thing that goes on for James and John they will drink that cup that Jesus drinks they will be baptized with the baptism that Jesus was baptized with their lives will end not with Christian celebrity and success large churches and lots of Instagram followers. Instead, their lives will end being martyred non-violently in witness to a new world where not so with you is what we're named by. And we can start to imagine, what if love reigns? What if Jesus is not a failure? What if instead he is Lord? What if resurrection means that life for me and those out there can look like the love we see at Calvary? And so he steps across. And in that moment, what happens is that which was lying to him, the very thing that was seeking to destroy him, it is transformed into a stallion. Now, don't miss this. The very thing that he thought was going to destroy him becomes the very power that he rides into this new reality. And I don't know what it is for you. Your secret shame, your hidden guilt, the very things that you feel disqualify you from being a not-so-with-me kind of person. But what God does with those things when we are honest like James and John and says, this is what I want and that's why I do that stuff, God takes that instead of destroying it, transforms it into the very power to ride into this new reality. Meister Eckhart, a big influence on Martin Luther in the 16th century, in the 15th century said this, we must put upon our passions, that is our desires, the bridle of love. Anybody ride? It means that what goes into, most of us just want to shoot the horse. Most of us think that holiness is actually just killing off what we desire. No, that's the very thing God wants to transform. You should want to be great. You should want to do something great with your lives. Do something worthwhile. Waste your life doing something worthwhile. But just know, real greatness is service. Just know you will only find yourself as you lose yourself in the service of others. Don't go killing that horse. 
It's the very thing that God places upon it, a bridle of love, so those desires can ride into witnessing to a not-so-with-you reality in our cities, in this nation, and in our world. We need real greatness. And real greatness looks like Jesus. It forgets itself and wastes its life in service of others. It knows that our gifts and talents and deepest desires will only be realised as we give them over in such ways that we realise we have been ransomed for a kingdom where we no longer have coercive power. But we have that Christ-like power that gives dignity to those that others just simply dismiss. That's what this table is about. That's what we're about to gather around. That's what salvation is. Salvation saves us from both killing that horse that we are so scared because it's so powerful and you don't know what I desire and you don't know how I can't, I don't. And we hope that God would kill it and instead God redeems it. And that's what it is to go on this transfiguration journey. The very things that you fear would disqualify you, that's what God wants to work with to deliver you. And that's what happens at this table. We are to be a not-so-with-you people where the only thing that disqualifies us is thinking we're more qualified than anybody else. And that's why, as we come around this table, we witness a new reality of a very spiritual kingdom that is physical. Because they will reign with Jesus in a kind of love that the world thinks is failure. And yet we preach Christ him crucified, and this is the only thing that really changes the world. As we gather around this table, some of you know some of my story and what I do, and that Reverend Jim Lawson has been a massive influence on me. Reverend Jim Lawson was the person who first ran nonviolence workshops for Martin Luther King. Reverend Jim Lawson tells me that the first question that Martin Luther King asked when he came to a workshop on how they were going to transform this racist reality in America in the 1950s and 60s. Martin Luther King's first question was, what about power? That's a good question. We should want to win. We should want love to win. And Rev Lawson's answer was, nonviolence is the greatest power we have. Nonviolence is just another language for love. For us to proclaim the cross is to proclaim that love is the greatest power available to us. And that's why we risk being a not-so-with-you people. So it's my honour this morning, not only to hang out with you, but to hang out where Jesus promises to be present, with broken, problematic people like you and I, around a table where the only thing that would disqualify us is thinking we're more qualified than others, where we come honestly with our desires, tell Jesus what we want and he smiles back at us wryly and is like and you're going to get it in ways that you can't imagine and our lives are handed back in ways that can witness to the foolishness of a God who conquers on a cross so as Rob comes up it's our honour to be able to welcome you to the table I want to pray with you before I do and I want to pray that it will be stepping across the threshold where you can trust that God's angels who are present will take their swords and not kill what you fear would overtake you, 
but actually do their work to transform you, that those things will witness to the power that rose Jesus from the grave. Can I pray for you? According to the practice of the early church, this was the altar call, the table. So I want to invite you into a prayer that people gathering this building have prayed a version of for a very long time. And my prayer is that you'll hear it today as a crossing over into a threshold where problematic people like us can become a not-so-with-you people who wield a very different kind of power. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbour. We have not loved the stranger. We have not loved our enemies as you have loved us. Yet for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, whose death, resurrection, ascension invites us into being and empowers us to be and not so with you people, we ask humbly that you come and lavish your grace upon us, that we might walk in your will and delight in your ways to the glory of your name, that we wouldn't add Jesus to our desires, but let him transform our desires to ride into your kingdom. And all those who love God and want to live his love said, Amen.